So today, I'm here today to talk about Jesus. <laughs> Amen. You can never go wrong talking about Jesus. Amen. So we're going to talk about the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus called himself our shepherd. And so, um, Father, we thank you for being with us. I just feel like I keep praying, praying, praying. But it's good. It's all good. And we thank you, Father, for helping us today and for breaking open this bread of life for us. Feed your people manna from heaven. Feed your people to be hungry no more. We just thank you for bringing us keys of understanding that we didn't have. Bring light to dark areas, Lord God. And I just thank you that you um, break this open and to feed us to the full in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to start in John chapter 10, and in verse 2, um, Jesus said, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him, to him the gatekeeper opens. The, ship, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from them, from the stranger, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. So, again, Jesus is our shepherd. And in this picture, Jesus is describing himself as a shepherd who calls the sheep to come and follow him. If it was a stranger coming, they wouldn't follow the shepherd. They would run away from their from, from the voice of the stranger. So um, Jesus is showing this illustration um, in the context of the Gospels. This is right after the man who had been healed, who was born blind, and he had been healed, and he had been rejected by his family and by religion. So it's a familiar story. Um, we're just going to look at it real closely um, for a second to put in context what Jesus is saying here. Um, so if we look at John chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus answered, so this is the disciples who saw this man who was born blind, and the disciples, of course, asked, who, who sinned? <laughs> was it, was it he who sinned? And how could he be sin and born blind? You know, I'm not sure how that could even happen, but in religion, they're always going to find an excuse for a sickness to remain, right? So it was, is it because of the man's sin that he was born blind or his parents' sin that he was born blind? And in verse 3, Jesus answered them. It says, it was not the man's sin, it was not this man's sin nor his parents' sin, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is which means scent. And he went and washed and came back seeing. So this is an amazing miracle. And it drew a lot of people's attention. So um, so he came back and the people were saying, this is the man who is begging. Is this? He can't be him because he's seeing it can't be the same man. And um, and they said, no, he said, no, I'm the man. I was the one. And I, I the man put mud on my eyes and now I can see. And and so um, so he's testifying, testifying. Then the Pharisees came and confronted him um, because he was healed on the Sabbath. And um, they said that Jesus couldn't have come from God because he wouldn't be violating the Sabbath like this, violating the Sabbath by healing somebody. 
it was so sick and wrong. Um, but they tried to make the healed man agree with, with them that Jesus couldn't be coming from God. And, um, and, but he refused to agree with them. And then they confronted, the Pharisees went and confronted his parents and said, he wasn't really born blind, was he? This is, this was all a hoax all along. And the parents were afraid of the Jews. He said, yes, he was born blind. He can see now. I don't know how that happened, but he's of age. You can ask him. So but they basically didn't take up for him. They were just like, he's old enough. Go talk to him. Don't bother us about it. So again, the Pharisees came to the healed man and he said, um, they said, surely Jesus is a sinner because he wouldn't been doing these, you know, he wouldn't be doing this on the Sabbath had he not been a sinner. So, I mean, they are just fixated on calling Jesus a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. So and if you look in, um, we're going to jump down to verse 24. It says, for, so for a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So come on, you know, let's agree with me that Jesus is a sinner. And so this healed man answered, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. The one thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. And then um, in verse 26, in, um, they were Pharisees were asking, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said, I already told you, because this is about the fourth time he's told them what happened. He said, I already told you and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to also be his disciple? So they got kind of snarky with them, which I like, you know. It's okay to be snarky with some religion, you know. Um, so they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. So they're already looking at, at Moses instead of Jesus. And it says, we, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's come from. So the healed man answered and said, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. It's like you don't understand he came from heaven. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. So if God is listening to him, anybody who is worshiping God and does his will, God listens to him. So he's making a presumption that Jesus must be coming from God and listening because because sinners don't heal people. So this is not even possible, your logic. And so he said, um, never since the world has begun has had anyone opened the eyes of a man who was born blind. Of this man, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he's basically, the healed man is drawing his conclusion that this, this, that Jesus had to have come from God because he did the miracle. And, um, you know, he's, he, and it's a logical conclusion, and, but Pharisees were just so blind to that. And, um, so they, the Pharisees answered him and says, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. So they, he don't, they don't feel like they need to be taught, and they cast him out. So be, before Jesus worked the miracle to heal the man, he had said that the works of God would be displayed in him, and he declared that he, that Jesus himself was the light of the world. So he said this before. He performed the miracle, and then all this stuff happened. Looks like chaos, but it's the works of God that was happening. And the light of Jesus came in and, and exposed the darkness of that religious system. And um, the man who was healed, he gave his testimony, and he was basically kicked out of his family. He was kicked out of his religion because he testified to the truth. Um, in verse 34, it says they cast him out. They actually kicked him out. And um, so then in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had 
cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. So this man who hasn't, I'm just seeing it now, it's like he hasn't seen hardly anything at all. And Jesus said, you've seen him. You know, it's like probably the first person you saw was the Son of Man. And he said, you have seen him, and he who is speaking to you, I, it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he laid down and worshipped him. So he said, the Son of Man is a specific term from um, Daniel's prophecy that um, uh, foretold of the Messiah. You know, it was a specific term. So he was saying that this son of man, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all the peoples and language should worship him. This is who the son of man is. And Jesus said, I am he. This is one of the only places where Jesus like flat out tells somebody. I think the only other place was um, the woman at the well. And uh, where he said, he said, I'm talking to you, I'm he. And so he said, he revealed it to this one here, that I am the promised one. This man had been abused and discarded by religion, and the good shepherd came to rescue him. This man, this is the context of John 10 that we were just reading. So, so again, let's go back to, um, well, let's go up to 39, John 9, 39. Um, he continued. So this is the same thing. He's saying, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So in the mirror translation, it says, I have come to judge the world's blindness. So they who are blind may see and those who think that they can see become blind. So this is a religion, how religion has blinded them to the glory of God. In the message translation, it says, I have come to judge the world's blindness. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It says something different in the message, but I copied it wrong. So we'll just skip that part. Okay, so we'll go in on in uh, verse 40. Uh, it says, some of the Pharisees near him heard the things that he was saying. It says, are we also blind? So the Pharisees are, are he, overhearing what Jesus is saying, and they're, they're getting convicted, they're getting the accusation, and they're trying to confront Jesus about it. And says, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, then you would have no guilt. But now you say we see, so your guilt remains. So a religion puts you in a position of feeling self-sufficient, like I, I can see everything clearly. There's nothing to learn. Everything is clear before you, and, and you don't. Um, you don't recognize in areas where you need to be enlightened. You don't recognize the places where you need to have the scales come off your eyes. In the book of Revelation, um, Jesus was speaking to the church of Laodicea, Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And he said, you say you are rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind and naked. So it's like when you when you are saying that you have all these things in your own sufficiency, then you are really blind to everything that God wants to bring to you. The sick, the sick are the ones who need a physician. So um, that's in Luke five. The sick are, sick are the ones that need a physician. So if you refuse to acknowledge what you can't see, then then He can't help you to be able to see. If you don't recognize how blind you are, then you can't get any light. 
So this is all the backdrop for John 10. So here we go. Um, so again, he said, if you were blind, then you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see, so your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So the one who comes in the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name, leads them out. And when he has brought all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow them, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from them. For they do not know the voice of strangers. So Jesus, when he's tell, when he's talking, he's probably very close to where the sheepfold is. So the sheepfold is kind of like a parking garage for sheep. You know, that's the best way. When I was reading about it, I said it's kind of it's an overnight storage for sheep. So, so you have the different shepherds that have their individual flocks, and a lot of them are coming there around the temple because people are going for sacrifice and that kind of thing. But you you can't, it's not like um, shifts where, you know, you have to sleep sometime. And so the shepherd, when it has to sleep, has to have a safe place to put the, the sheep. And so in, in ancient Palestine, I found this, it says the Jewish shepherds brought their flocks back to the sheepfold for protection after a day of grazing. Predators such as wolves and other animals sought to eat the sheep. They would particularly become more active at nighttime. So that's how the enemy comes in, you know, too. He comes at nighttime. But they could not penetrate the sheepfold, which was a walled structure um, topped with briars to keep out those who wanted to destroy the sheep. So if you if you think of it, it's like a walled and almost like a fence, but it was a brick, um, not brick, stone, a stone wall, that almost like a pony wall that would come up high enough where the predators wouldn't be able to get over it. There was briars on top to keep them out. And... Um, and all the all the flocks would come into this one place, so it was like a communal place where all the different flocks came in. There was one sheep door, there was one gate for them to come in and out, and so um, they had one entrance. And many shepherds would share the same sheepfold, thus the sheep might get separated from the flocks and the sheep. So the the sheep are going to kind of mingle amongst themselves. But when the dawn comes and the shepherd comes to the door. And he calls his group. His sheep know his voice. And so with the mingled sheep that are there, when his she- when the shepherd comes, his sheep gather and know his voice. If there was a thief that would come, they would climb up over the wall because there was a gatekeeper there watching over the flocks by night. You know, they were watching to make sure everything was stayed safe for them. But they were watching the multitude of flocks within the sheepfold. But um, and so they would make sure that the that the thieves and the robbers wouldn't climb in another way. But the shepherd comes the right way. The shepherd comes to the door, calls calls them, and they come running after him, and then they follow him right out to where the pasture is. So, so um, overnight the the different flocks are gathering together. Morning comes, the shepherd knocks on the door. So Jesus is saying that we know his voice. Amen. So his voice is a familiar sound to us. Uh, there's so many people that I talk to that are fearful about, I want to hear God. I want to hear the voice of God and that kind of thing. And, and they just think it's like this weird, spooky thing. But you know his voice. You know his voice and the voice of another you won't follow. And um, he, Jesus has confidence in your ability to hear his voice 
and he has confidence in his ability to shepherd you. So he knows that you're not going to go astray in, in such a way where he's not going to be able to retrieve you. You know, um, I know there were, when I was first learning the things of God, I had, um, a pastor of mine told me, you know, that because you, because you have a heart towards God, you don't have to be fearful about making a wrong step because he orders your steps. So even if you like misstep and go the wrong way, he knows how to direct your path in a way so you get back where you're supposed to be. He he has confidence in his ability to lead us. And so we need to have that same confidence in him. So um so he will never leave us or abandon us. In John 10:1 it says, "Truly, truly I say to you that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And if we skip down to verse 8, it's a, Jesus said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. So he's the first real shepherd. Okay. So in the context of, of this man who was born blind and he was getting interrogated by the Pharisees, all who came before me are those the religious people that were trying to steal and kill the healing and the faith of this man. You know, all those that came before me are thieves and robbers, but my sheep know my voice. So they worked to undermine the works of God that Jesus came to do. But Jesus always comes to our rescue. He came to this man's rescue, and we can trust his care for us. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at our shepherd in um, Psalm 23. And, um, and I just, I love the way that he takes care of us. And so we're going to kind of just look at it verse by verse and let it minister to us. So in um, verse 1, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So God promises to rescue his people by being a shepherd to, to them. Um, in Isaiah 40, um, and when I was when I was meditating this, I remembered this verse, and it reminded me of if you ever sang the Messiah, this song. It says, "He will feed his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arm, and he will carry those in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young." So this picture right here gives you an idea, a picture of the shepherd, our shepherd, the shepherd of God, who comes and gently gathers us in. And he carries us in his bosom, close to his heart. He was full of compassion. And he gathers us in and he, and he carries us tenderly. And it continues to say, I shall not want. So that means I shall not lack. I shall not decrease. I shall not be without. It's a, I shall not want. And the message translation says, I do not need a thing. Because he cares for me, I don't need a thing. In verse 2, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So it the literally it means pastures of tender green grass. Green throughout the word, if you look at, you know, just looking at things as a picture throughout the word, green always represents the new covenant. So, you know, in the uh, Song of Solomon, um, it talked, talk, um, the beloved was talking about my, bre- my bed is green. This is where we get to have intimacy and communion with with Jesus is in the new covenant. He always, you know, there's a, um, there's emerald around the throne of God and, and around the rainbow. There's always a greenness. Um, that greenness is represents the new covenant, but uh, it's also tender young green grass, which means that it's easy on our teeth. It's easy to eat. It's easy to digest. 
So, and he leads us beside still waters. So the still waters are um, waters of rest, pools of tranquility. They mean uh, comfortable and quiet. So these are not rushing waters where you might step in to get a drink and they carry you away. This is like you can be safe. You can be at peace. He leads you beside those still, quiet waters, and he restores our soul. Jesus is the lover of our soul. So he takes care of our soul, and that's the part of us that gets so frantic. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions. And, you know, emotions all by itself is like, ah, <laughs> you know, it can get so crazy. But he loves our, he loves our soul. It's not, our soul is not something that we need to be um, upset with. You know, I think like growing up in, in the things of God, it was like your spirit was good and your soul was bad, you know, like stay out of, and I, it took me a long time to understand that Jesus loves my soul and he, he created, you know, your, your mind, the way that you think, the way that you process information, the way, you know, the way that you respond to things emotionally. He created you and he loves you and he knows how to minister to your soul the way your soul needs it. And so he always leads us into those, um, and he, and where our soul can get so fragmented and get so, uh, beaten up by just living in this world. And he brings us in and he feeds us with green grass. He leads us beside still waters and he gives us the refreshing and the replenishing that we need. Jesus said that, um, if you follow me, then I will give you rest. And if you learn my ways, you will find rest for your soul. So there's a there's a rest that you receive initially by just meeting Jesus. But then once you start learning his ways, you find a rest for your soul. And that's um, we learn more about Jesus. Our soul can relax. We can be ourself in him and let him be himself. There's that's a David Baroni song is I'll be myself in Jesus. Let him be himself in me. You know, I live, yet not I, it's Jesus in me. And so we can live fear, uh, free from all fear and anxiety because he restores our soul. And the next, it goes on to say that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's a, there's a psalm that I found in Psalm 18. It says, you provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles don't give way. So there's like, um, you know, sometimes when we talk about the things of God, um, some people, we talk about following the Holy Spirit, we're given an impression like we have to walk this little tightrope. And it's like, don't slip this way, don't slip this way, you better stay on the straight and narrow, you know. And, it, and it's it's given in such a way where it's like, it makes it difficult and stressful to walk with God, you know. And But God is our Father, and he loves our soul. And he makes the path wide enough so that our ankles don't. We have enough room, you know. We have enough room to walk peacefully. Um, the path of righteousness was actually, it, it's, there's obviously a spiritual meaning to it, but it was actually, it is actually a physical thing on the mountains where, where the sheep are being fed. Um, the steep hillsides in the wilderness often were full of these ridges, and these are paths that have been cut by the shepherds. So it, I was going to try to see if I can get a picture of it, but if you look at it, it's like the the hills and the mountains, they look like they have stripes on them. And so um, the shepherds cut these paths so that, um, that the sheep can go up the mountain, but we're not going to go straight up. You know, he's he's making these um, what do they call them switchbacks, and, and to 
to give us an, an easy way to go up. And so just to read my notes, it says, it's um, simply not possible for the sheep to ascend and descend the hills directly. They are they're too steep. So the shepherds lead the sheep in these switchbacks, switchbacks which are called right paths or paths of righteousness. And they prevent them from tumbling tumbling toward injury or death. So if it was too steep, you know, going down the hill, you know, I've been walking down like when I was little, I had to walk down a ravine and I like slipped and then I wasn't able to get back up again. It's like, yeah. Um, so the, the sheep, they are not going to get to a place where you're not going to be able to get back up. He makes this little platform for our feet so that we're not going to slip off. The shepherd knows that the shortest path between the two points is not always the right path. So even though you say, well, it'd be shorter for me to just run up the hill. Yeah, you, you're going to wear yourself out. And, and Jesus always takes us in a way um, that he's not trying to cause us extra stress. You know, there's enough stress in the world. There's trouble in the world already. And but he said he's overcome the world. And one of the ways that he's overcome the world, he's given us a better way to walk. And so in the hilly desert, these switchbacks provide a, uh, provide the sheet a safe way to cross over difficult terrain. In the same way, Jesus provides right paths so we will get where we need to go. It might seem slower, but he makes it easier easier for us to go higher. We can get farther when we walk along those those paths of righteousness. God gives us a way to cause us the le- and causes us the least amount of stress. And in the walking with him, we learn of him more. We get to spend time with him. He's not trying to speed things up with us. You know, he's trying to spend as much time with us as he can. You know, he wants to enjoy the journey. And and that's part. Of, sometimes we get so destination minded <laughs> that we forget to enjoy the the journey. Okay, we're going to verse four. It says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So fear no evil means fear, fear no trouble, feel Fear no harm, no adversity, no affliction. So we're not fearful. Now, this is the one place where it says, he'll lead me here, he'll lead me here. And it, this one is, I walked through the valley. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, we weren't being led into the valley of the shadow of death. We got there somehow, you know. We wandered away or we got distracted and, and this is where we are. But we're not afraid because he still has his eyes on us. He's still watching over us. Um, this is where um, life happens. This happens. But he finds us wherever we are. Jesus knows where you are, so you have nothing to fear. He knows how to rescue you and get you back where you belong. And he will order your steps. And it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the rod was always used for protection, um, to ward off intruders and predators. Um, you know, if you if there's a wolf that comes, you're glad that you have a shepherd that knows how to hit him with the rod. You know, it's like to get him away from you. Um, but and then if the the sheep start kind of going the wrong way, the rod comes and kind of just straightens about. It's not a punishing thing. It's not a spanking. It's just a tap. Boom, boom. You know, get you back. Um, so and then the staff is has that hook in it. Where he can pull you up if you've fallen down. He can. He's always lifting us up. He's always holding us up. So this is this is how our shepherd cares for us. You know, he's not causing injury to us. He in any way. I used to hear that sometimes where you have a the shepherd will snap your legs and put you over his shoulder. And it's like that is so. Cr- 
cruel. That, that is, there's no shepherd in history that has ever done that kind of cruelty to their animals. You know, they love and care for their animals, and they know how to train them to hear their voice without causing them injury. And it's the same thing, our Father. He knows how to teach us to, to, to respond to his voice, and it's not going to cause us pain or injury. And uh, in verse 5, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So even when there's hostile surroundings, we're never without. He pre- prepares a banqueting table. He, he prepares more than enough in the presence, in the face of hostility. So if we look back at our story with the man where he was being confronted by all this religion and the family rejected him and religion rejected him and he was just getting ostracized, Jesus came right away, and he started feeding him again. He prepared a table right in the presence. And he, to me, that's like an advocate That's uh, where he undertakes for you, where he'll stand with you in the presence of your enemies. You know, when we were talking about the encouragement, the paraclete that come alongside, this is what he does for us. Um, He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So, of course, oil represents represents the holy spirit um he anoints us with his spirit he um uh, oil is also for healing and um with the shepherds when they anointed their heads with oil um it was to keep out the the bugs you know where that would want to nest in the so there are little things that come along that you don't know how to get rid of yourself and the holy spirit comes in and he he creates a barrier and a protection for you um so that you can always be um safe and healthy that's that's the best way to he always makes you healthy this is a treatment for the sheep and um in verse six he says surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life yes what's chasing you goodness and mercy is chasing me (laughs) there's a song i'm trying to think who sings it but um but is your love is chasing me down. Your love is chasing me down. The Hebrew for follow literally means hunting down. It's the same word where Saul was hunting David. So here it is, King David, who knows what it is to be hunted. And he's saying, goodness is hunting me. Mercy is hunting me. And so there is nowhere that we can run from his goodness. And the psalm said, where can I hide from your presence? You know, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. You know, he, he's never going to, you can't go one way or the other. If you think about, you know, Saul and David, you know, everywhere he went, Saul was after him, after and after. That's how the blessings of God are coming after us. That's how God's goodness and his mercy following us, that we can't outrun his goodness and his mercy. It's always there. Um, the, your, and also, it creates a barrier to your past in your old life. Your past can't catch up with you because goodness and mercy have your, have your back. Hallelujah. And finally, it says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we don't ever have to fear not being included in his presence. He makes us welcome in his presence. We have a seat at his table and a room in his house. And not only that, Jesus said that he and his father would make his home in us. He said, I'll make, we'll make our abode in you. So we're living in his house and he's living in our house. It's like the, um, 
the little Russian nesting dolls. You know, it's like one inside the other inside the other. We're in him and he's in us and we're in him and he's in us. And, and so we are one with him. And so and we dwell with him forever. And like we were saying before, there's there is no there is nothing that could separate us from the love of God. There is no height, depth, length, width, nothing that can separate us. Living or dead can take us away from his presence. And so he's made a commitment to be with us forever. Amen. So I'm going to read the Psalm 23. We'll read it again. We're going to read it in the message translation. And it says, God is my shepherd. I don't need a thing. You've bedded me down in lush meadows. You find quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I am not afraid because you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course meal right in front of my enemies. You receive my drooping head and my cup brims with blessing. You revive my drooping head, I'm sorry, and my cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and your love chase after me every day of my life. And I am back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, Father God, we thank you for your promise to us. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy that chases after us. We thank you for uh, demonstrating yourself to us as our shepherd and our provider, that you take care of everything that we need, even the little things. The little things that we might feel are insignificant, the little fleas that want to bug our mind. Lord, I thank you for anointing our head with oil and that making our cup to run over, that we never lack anything, Lord God. And we just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord God. Father God, we just pray for those in our um, church that are not here right now. Father God, we ask that you bless them, heal them, minister to them. Father, we thank you for your traveling mercies for our pastor. We thank you that you bless them coming in and going out. They have strength for coming in and going out. We thank you, Father God, for giving them power over every work of darkness. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Father God, that we uh, ride upon the high places because we ride with you. We thank you for that, Lord God. And we bless you and we praise you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, we'll see you on Sunday.